is the Spiritual Coaching Dashboard. Our mission is to train those who give spiritual counsel to others. Whatever your skill level, we offer accessible and practical advice to those whose life or work frequently leads them to spiritual conversations. Our goal is to foster a growing relational connection with and loyalty to the God of the Bible. We help people choose life-giving reactions to the warning lights on the dashboard of their lives. Our passion comes from the belief that only healthy hearts can know God deeply and follow Him fully. Welcome, everyone, to the Spiritual Coaching Dashboard. This podcast, first launched a year ago, is a tool for training my expanding team of spiritual coaches at our growing multi-site church. I can't tell you how surprised I was that now hundreds of people are listening around the world. Wherever you are on the globe, Nancy and I are honored to have you aboard. Speaking of Nancy, my beautiful bride is in the studio with me today. (laughs) Well, thank you, honey. And hello, everyone. If you're interested in going back and listening to any of the three previous seasons, it would be helpful to begin with the first episode of season one. Each podcast is a standalone topical treatment, but they are episodic, so listening out of order will leave you without some necessary foundational content. Our intention with this podcast is to keep the explanation simple and relatable, and for the most part, avoid the clinical and theological terminology. So what I did is I swapped that out for modern and easily recognizable metaphors to explain spiritual and biblical ideas, as well as coaching techniques and, and approaches. Now, that doesn't mean that our content is overly simplistic or, or dumbed down or, or, or unhelpful to those who are further down the road, just that it's accessible and immensely usable. No matter your familiarity with the subject, you will be able to follow along at whatever level of experience and discover new ways to talk to others about spiritual subjects. Yes, and as we enter this fourth season, we will begin to offer true standalone episodes, tackling both new content as well as returning to subjects we already addressed but feel deserve greater attention. A new feature going forward will be answering specific questions that our listeners have submitted. Questions about specific spiritual coaching subjects or establishing and maintaining a spiritual coaching practice in your context. Listen to the end of the podcast and I will tell you how to submit questions and ideas for future episodes. Yes, and, and it's important that uh, I make a clarification. You understand my use of some terminology. Uh, in all of these podcasts, you, you know, I mentioned spiritual maturity and spiritual growth and those things consistently. Some people, when they hear those terms, especially if they've gone to church all their lives, might be tended to think about attending classes or amassing uh, intellectual understanding. And, and that's not what I mean when I talk about spiritual maturity or spiritual growth. I'm talking about first-person, hands-on, experiential knowledge of God. Spiritual maturity is knowing Him. It's not about what you know, it's about who you know. And that's what I mean when I talk about spiritual maturity and spiritual growth. If the relationship is strong and growing, everything else that's necessary to life as a follower of Jesus Christ will flow from that. In fact, we want you to know that we named the podcast The Spiritual Coaching Dashboard because just like the dashboard in your car, there are warning lights in our lives. They indicate to us that we need to do some heart work with God in order to step into our full potential. We need someone more qualified and experienced to do spiritual wrenching on our souls in order to improve our performance. Our dream for you is that you would unlock your potential through a heart healthy enough to know God deeply and follow Him fully, and then to pass your experience on to others. 
Now, without further delay, here is today's content. In this episode, I want to take a picture from a recent experience and, and talk about the annoying yet necessary signs of life, what new grandchildren have to do with spiritual life. As we begin season four of the podcast, we can now take some new approaches to delivering you uh, worthwhile content, like going back to take a bigger swing at subjects we've already addressed. And today, I'll do that by going all the way back to season one, episode five, dryness, our spiritual dryness, and the stages of spiritual stuckness. I talk about uh, those times when those who are loyal to Jesus Christ and and their relationship with God, um, and when they experience a cold heart or a dark valley, and what I rather ineloquently call stuckness, that troubling feeling that your relationship with God has inexplicably become strained or is even in jeopardy. And I suggest that being spiritually stuck is not necessarily a bad thing, and so avoidance of these inevitable and difficult days isn't wise. Being stuck is not necessarily a result of punishment for sin or, or spiritual laziness or whatever negative explanation you attach to it, but may actually indicate God's pleasure with you. Conversely, however, I also suggest that if we remain spiritually stuck too long, stage one, stuckness, is followed by stage two, stagnation, which is not a place we want to remain very long. Why? Because it's followed by stage three, which is slip, slippage. Stuckness, stagnation, and slippage. We begin to lose spiritual ground, and I guide you not to, to, to quickly help people escape that dryness. We don't want to help them to escape it too quickly, um, and we don't want them to get overly alarmed over being stuck until the stuckness, the stuckness progresses into you know, a prolonged period in, in stage two and beyond that. So today, I want to take this further, deeper, uh, into a a conversation around the normalcy and necessity of highs and lows in the Christ follower's relationship with God. Uh, Spiritual coaches are going to regularly have people who come because they feel their relationship with God is stuck. You know, they feel dry or like God has abandoned them, or worse, in their minds anyway. They feel they have uh, fallen, maybe due to some sin they they can't discover from a place of superior maturity backwards into immaturity. Their, Their spiritual sensitivity, excitement, passion, and pleasurable spiritual feelings have greatly diminished or have seemingly vanished completely. They, they feel they've lost something, that they should always feel the same spiritual elation or even an expanding level of spiritual satisfaction and gratification and joy and delight continuously expanding without abatement. Truth is, those kinds of thoughts and explanations live mainly in the heads of spiritual infants. That unrealistic thinking is mature for sure. When we experience such a time, the believer has probably lost nothing but has more likely realized how immature they still are. The novelty and and, and the initial highs have simply worn off. Nothing's really changed. They've just been too sensitively, sensually oriented towards their feelings. They, They base the judgment on their spiritual condition almost solely on how spiritual they feel, how celebrative, how up, how thrilled by life, how wonderful they feel, spiritually speaking. This is particularly common for those new to relationship with God. You know, when we're in our first days and months of life as a Christ follower, we typically begin on on this mountaintop. The the initial high is so extreme that that when the unexpected low inevitably follows, it is crushingly crushingly low. Our feelings of of devastation correspond to the degree of our disappointment. The loss of initial bliss and passion is unexpected, even though it is natural, normal, and necessary, because they have not been forewarned about this. 
Um, we have been poorly taught, uh, cruelly unprepared, or just totally uncared for. If we have not been warned, and so did not see this dryness coming. So let's talk about babies, bleeps, and buzzers, all right? Within just a 15-day span, just a month or so ago, Nancy and I welcomed not one, but two new granddaughters. Our youngest and oldest children both had baby girls, 15 days apart. What an accommodating thing that is to have two at once. Nancy and I don't have to argue over who gets to hold the grandchildren. We each get our own. Uh, on a side note, those are also some of the reasons, along with some other events, as well as a, a needed break from a year of weekly podcasting, explains why there's been a normal, uh, a longer than normal gap between uh, episodes of this podcast. So, so for both of these glorious events, I found myself in a hospital room listening to the beeps and buzzard from a myriad of alarms. And with the annoying signs of life persistently in the background, I watched these heartbeat monitors. Both mom's and the baby's heartbeats, along with a lot of other data I did not understand, were displayed, were displayed and scrutinized so, so their health could be carefully observed leading up to and through the birth process. Now, here's a quick medical lesson about electrocardiograms from someone who just now learned what they mean from a couple YouTube videos. So it's, uh, it, it, it's elementary to, to say the least. But EKGs have a cycle. Each EKG cycle, um, as the heart beats, includes this small bump, uh, the more recognizable spike and accompanying lull of the, of the formal heartbeat, followed by another little bump, all measured from a flat line that is the control. Now, each of these three segments have their own name and communicate separate data that makes up the whole of each heartbeat. That, that first blip or the P wave is the signal for the heart to beat. That is followed by that spike, that spike up when the heart contracts and pushes blood to the body. And then there's that resulting low that dips below the line when the heart releases. And finally, uh, there's this other blip that signals this relaxation phase and it starts all over again. That rhythmic um, scientific, that the rhythm scientifically proves and declares that life exists. You know, irregularities are not good. Deviations from the normal uh, communicate that something has changed. Should, should any part of the heartbeat fail to happen in its appointed place? Yeah. The noise of those monitors in the background that, that break through the foreground when there's a lull in activity are annoying yet necessary because they are the very signs of life. Now, I want to reflect on that pattern um, in this podcast just for a little bit here and apply it spiritually. Uh, the beat that proves we are alive from, from a, a spiritual perspective is what I want to talk about. Focusing just on the middle part, okay, the actual heartbeat, you know, I, I call that spike a mountaintop experience. And the low that follows the dramatic spike and, and that drops below the line represents the valley, the lows in life. Now, let's keep in mind that any illustration like this is not perfectly, doesn't perfectly transfer for over. Uh, I'll refer to that in a little bit. Now, uh, now, what if the spike that signals the contraction that pushes life to the body was the only part of the beat of life that we could identify? What if we were always on the mountaintop, spiritually speaking? Um, we always felt the pleasurable high of knowing that we are near and, and dear to God. What if the electrifying liver shiver of supernatural insights and experiences never faded? 
because there would be no following low, no line um, that plummets to the valley, the line that signifies life always on the mountaintop would continue on above that baseline straight or flat. It would spike up and then continue on this plateau straight ahead and it would be flat. And when the heartbeat flatlines, it signals the cataclysmic change that is death. Indeed, what you think I'm saying is what I'm saying. A spiritual life that is lived always on the mountaintop of feelings indicates spiritual death, or at the very least, sickness. Let me repeat that. A spiritual life that's lived always up here on a mountaintop of feeling indicates spiritual death. I've talked to people who, every time you ask them how they're doing, oh, life is grand, and our Father is wonderful, and, and they seem to be always on the mountaintop. No, that's, that's, that's not life. That's stagnation, and stagnation leads to death. Not the, the spiritual death that God saved us from, but the death of the spiritual life Christ won for us to live um, through that rescue and to live here in this life. We must uh, follow in order for there to be, well, what must follow in order for there to be necessary signs of life? Well, the inevitable and often excruciating low that always trails behind the amazing high. Spike up is followed by the dip down. It is the ups and downs of life. Now, what if we hit that low and remained there indefinitely? Imagine life with no uplifting season. Imagine what it would be like if after the low of the beat of life, the rhythm froze and stagnated and never rose. If the low that follows the contraction of life and allows the heart to rest as it gets ready to pump life out again, if it were to just sit there and never move, the monitor would tell that story with another flat line and the accompanying alarms that shriek the news that death is near. Life lived continuously stuck at either extreme is death. Life lived continuously stuck at either extreme is death because it is flatline. There is no beat or rhythm. It is flat. Human life struggles to survive where it is externally frigid. Life struggles to survive where the scorching heat seldom relents. The, the metaphor fails at this point because God has designed some life to thrive at both those extremes. But human life, we're talking about a human heartbeat, so let's talk about human life. As it, uh, as it comes from the womb, okay, cannot survive for long at all, for example, in the weightlessness of sub-zero space or, or at the icy depths of the sea, not without some kind of fabricated exoskeletal skin to encase and preserve. The jarring truth is that a flatlined life, no matter the extreme that it's stuck in, whether on the mountaintop or in the valley low, is dead. Life lived in prolonged seasons on the mountaintop of sensation or the valley of darkness and despair are both dead. They must be visited only. You tent there, you don't build a house. We must anticipate and even welcome the other extreme. If we do not prefer to remain at either point, high or low, we will either be forced to lie to ourselves about how alive we are, or we will be sidetracked by surprise when that change hits. Let's take a short break so you can rest your brain. You've been used to a new episode each week as we work through our first three seasons. As we move into season four, the episodes will drop less frequently, but at least once a month. 
Whatever the reason and from wherever you are listening, we are so glad you have come along for the ride. That is why we are excited to invite you to help us determine some of our future content. At the close of this episode, we will tell you how you can send your questions, ideas for topics, and suggested book reviews. If this podcast is helpful, we ask that you take a moment to rate, follow, and share it on whatever platform you use to stream content so that others can find us too. All right, let's finish today's episode of this podcast. take this a little further, a little beyond the metaphor. Um, spiritual life only expands and grows in the valleys. We need to break from the difficult valley through regular time on the mountaintop. Up there in that thin atmosphere where the veil between heaven and earth also seems thin, we praise and relish and bask in the glory. But we have little need to grow. All is well. The pressure is temporarily gone, either in reality or in our awareness of it. Life is hunky-dory. We do not tend to run to God as readily in dependent faith when all is well as we do when all is not well. It is not a season of growth. It is a season to rest. It's a season for restoration for our hearts. Growth happens in the rough and tumble of life down in the jungle, in the valley far below. Down there is where we accurately feel our need for God, either because He seems to be far away, which is not true, or because we are faced with the cold realities of life and know that we are in trouble without Him, which is definitely true. Will we depend on ourselves, or will we learn to get out of God's way and let Him do His thing? Will we give in to the pressure and the voices that draw us away from God, or will we let Him push us to Him for comfort, wisdom, and patience? In the valley, we face attack, stress, and strain, and doubt from within and from without. We long to find our way back to the mountaintop. But if we leave before God has finished His transforming work, we may have to face the same lesson we failed to learn the first time. If we leave the valley for a vacation in the mountains, bugging out before God, having gotten tired and impatient and fearful and self-protected, we walk away from God in the transforming work He is doing in the valley. Let's switch up the metaphor for a second. Um, life is seasonal. Spring, summer, fall, winter. The green and lushness of spring and summer leads to the gray and loss of fall and winter. Here in the Northeast, where I live, this is easy to remember. As the wife and I drive out into the countryside for a sunny summer Saturday away from all of it, I often marvel at just how green and overgrown and full of life it all seems, given that it was just a few months ago quite a different sight drab and dark and gray and dead. Where the seasons come with rhythmic regularity, it's easier to remember that death follows life and life follows death. How would we know the difference without their nemesis, their alter ego? How would we know we are living without the remainder, reminder of what death is like? How about another metaphor? One this time that God built into the flow of life from the very beginning of time. Not that the others weren't, but... In Genesis 1, 31 through 2, 3, we read, Then God looked all over all he had made, and, and he saw that it was very good. And an evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. See the rhythm? So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. And then on the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, because it was a day when he rested from all his work of creation. See the rhythm? 
we see that this naturally uh, natural rhythm of the seasons of nature, the sleep and wake cycles of, a day, of our day, the heartbeat of the minutes and seconds of life was built by God into every part of life. No sense in trying to defy what God has programmed. And these verses in Genesis show us that he built the same up and downs into our weekly cycle. A little later in the Bible, we discover that God expected the same kind of rhythm to be built into the, the years on the same interval. Work your fields for six years and let them rest on the seventh year. And we, we also find that there was a 50-year jubilee after 49 years of seven sevens had passed. Work, rest, celebrate what God has done. Work, rest, celebrate what God has done. Work, rest, celebrate what God has done. And so on. Now, enough of the theory. Let's consider some actions. In fact, four actions to, to, to not only know, but to live, to model, and to be sure that we teach. Number one, spiritual life is as seasonal as natural life is. So expect it. The cycle is only broken by the kind of death that ends our earthly existence. Do not be surprised by the cycles of life. Wait and watch for them. Prepare yourself like a squirrel's torn up food for the winter. Anticipation of the natural flow of life will help limit the disequilibrium that the surprise will create if you do not see it coming. Number one, expect it. Spiritual life is as seasonal as natural life is. So expect it. Number two, spiritual life maintained at either extreme is death. So avoid it. Do not only value and seek mountaintop experience that is potentially lazy and sensual. Do not so aggressively embrace the underdog or victim mentality that you overvalue the valley and cling to it like it is a, a medal or, or a sign of your strength and courage to, to stay there and to live there. Avoid a prolonged stay at any extreme. Reject the desire for constant comfort and ease and instead seize true life with its painful and annoying and difficult yet necessary seasons. Embrace the growth as zealously as you embrace the rest, or vice versa, depending on your wiring. Live the seasonal life. Let your heart beat. Move between the highs and lows without complaint or resistance like they are life itself. Avoid the desire and attempts to settle down at either camp. Now, closely connected to that, is number three. So the second one is spiritual life maintained at either extreme is death, so we're going to avoid it. Then three is the seasons of spiritual life must be valued, so embrace them. It's actually taken two a little bit deeper. Do not hurry through the seasons. Do not wish too strongly that you were in the other season. Do not wish so strongly when in one season that the desire for the next season prevents living to the full the season you are in. Let me repeat that. Do not wish so strongly, one in one season, that the desire for the next season prevents living to the full the season you're in. So few people know how to be present in the moment that has been given to them, especially if that moment is particularly difficult, troubling, or painful. But failure to feel and grieve and properly emote will eventually bring you back so you can finish the work. And a life with piles of unexpressed emotions stored up inside is a life constantly touched by sorrow and grief and hurt. And it is inescapable even on the mountaintop. Essentially, we live always in the valley because even when good comes and rest is possible, the weight we carry in our hearts because we haven't finished up some things in our life, it keeps us heavy and burdened. And life flatlined in the valley is, the, is death valley. 
Number four, the seasons of spiritual life can be learned, so practice them. Prepare for the ups and downs of spiritual life by living the rhythms intentionally each day, week, and month. It will help you to get good at making transitions. Live each day by bookending it with sufficient periods of rest and relaxation and sleep. Work six days and, and rest one. Make sure you're not at least one. Uh, make sure you are not going every night of the week, going, going, going. Take an extra day off every month beyond the Sabbath, maybe to spend it with a spouse or a friend, and enjoy life. Work hard the rest of the time. Do not work so you can play without playing so you can work. We need to be both actively living and teaching this rhythmic seasons of life to those we coach. Living them modeling them, and teaching them. Without the ups and downs of the rhythmic beat of life, there is only death. They need to, uh, people need to understand that it is normal and healthy to experience intense seasons of growth that are eventually followed by lighter times of restful celebration, which are in turn followed again by new challenges and changes and transformation in the valleys between the mountaintops. Those who have ever been in a hospital room, especially at night when trying to sleep, know just how annoying the signs of life are. But nurses do not do tests on or check up on those who are dead. The dead are put in a freezer in a morgue or a furnace in a crematory where the, seldom, where the living seldom go. Change both your attitude towards and the script that accompanies the seasons in your life, the heartbeat that proves you are truly living. Next time on the Spiritual Coaching Dashboard, my wife will join me in the studio to talk about our surprise retirement investment that you too can consciously contribute to now, no matter your income level or retirement plan. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you heard something that got your attention, whether it be for your own relationship with God or for coaching others, do not waste the divine nudge. Be sure to take the time to think through how God would have you work the new thought into your life and practice. If you do spiritual coaching, either formally or informally, remember that it is hard to lead where you have never been. We firmly believe that God will exchange the wounding of the past for the wellness of the future. A transformation that frees us to be wholeheartedly available to Him and those near us. As we walk into that healing, we gain the humble confidence and godly credibility needed to step unrestricted into the life and impact God has for us. And when we experience that for ourselves, it gives us a compelling story from which to call others to experience the same. We pray that God uses the Spiritual Coaching Dashboard to inform and transform your life before it reaches another. If you would like to submit a question or topic for a future episode of our podcast, here as promised is the contact information. The email address is carrie at tworivers.church or text at SC Dashboard from the social media platform of your choice. Again, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Spiritual Coaching Dashboard.